First of all, I've got to read the opening line on this because I loved the uh, on the article because I loved it. There's a new botnet in town. <laughs> Partner? <laughs> it's really new because it's just since December. Security researchers have been tracking this new piece of malware and it's called Satori. It attacks your default settings, which will send the information out to things that you know are connected to the Internet of Things. And it can potentially zombify everything in your home. It's not that far off as that of Mirai. Mm-hmm. Is that the right way to yep. say it? Yeah. And that's a botnet that was found in 2016. And it compromised thousands of routers and data-connected cameras and other devices. It completely screwed up the New York Times. I remember to Twitter mm-hmm. and uh, Airbnb, even Airbnb, which is a pretty big deal. Yeah, we talked about Mirai on um, Spark at the time. And just the fact that our Internet of Thingsy type of world is not actually very secure and that there's this kind of opening. And, you know, the problem is not necessarily that you're internet connected kettle is going to you know stop working or like blow up or something like that but it's harnessing start the power chasing you around the house. <laughs> right it's ha- harnessing the power of these things in order to do things like launch denial of service attacks by having these giant botnets which used to happen by turning people's desktop computers or laptops into um, part of botnets. But now, if you think about how much the internet of things is expanding and how many internet connected devices there are going to be that's like a lot of major botnets, potentially. Yeah. They say one of the ways to keep these zombies at bay is to change your default passwords mm-hmm. and settings on connected devices. Because mm-hmm. I've, how many people even think about doing that? No, because you don't, I mean, I think we think that we take the security of things like our desktop computers or even our phones a little more seriously. But this is talking about these sort of, things that seem kind of trivial, right? Like your internet connected camera or like the pet food feeder or something that's connected to the internet that you're probably not thinking that there are any security issues at all with. Yeah, it does say one way to tell that you might have a problem is if your home broadband slows dramatically. So what you do, and and then you contact your internet service provider and you tell them what's happening. And they said that if you think your router has been zombified, they words that they use are they will not think you're a weirdo they'll deal deal with it but you know and I I have to say I try not to um, plug spark too much because that would be a spark plug but uh, we actually did this fascinating story on this when Mariah came out and I interviewed um, Finn Brunton who's a researcher about some of this stuff and he talked about how there are these you know black markets in renting time on botnets and you don't even actually have to be like a technical whiz to do them. You just have to say, you know, I want this botnet for this amount of time. And as he describes it, you might use that time to say, get a denial of service attack. When you think about the yeah. future of all of these connected devices that we have, it's one thing if it's just people's desktop computers, but all of these smart tea kettles all over the world that could potentially be hijacked, it's really scary. It's really scary, and apparently this thing is going fast. Because, you know, it just started. I'd never even heard of it before. No, no. They just um, they just became aware of it in December, and they said it is moving like lightning. 
So that's my for scaring the crap out of us. Terrifying story. <laughs> yeah, I have a story that's uh, not quite so terrifying, although it does um, have to do with the future of um, computation. It's really a follow-up to your story that you did um, a couple of months back about the future of retail. So what uh, designers like Tommy Hilfiger are doing, this is the example that they use, is they're having this see-it-buy-it kind of model. So if you see something that's on a runway, you can kind of click on your app or whatever it is and get it right away. So you're having these very, very tight, tight, tight production lines, unlike the old days where you would have the show where you're debuting your material and then it comes out into stores like way way further down the road yeah and so this is part of this broader trend towards using data to make these very very tight production runs what they're basically doing is using artificial intelligence to do these data analytics so you might be able to ask a question not just for this click and buy thing but just in general as you're designing your clothing line Um, The examples they give here are, how did this shirt style perform five seasons ago? What color schemes are trending? You know, how does this style do in other markets, et cetera, et cetera. So it's using this data-fueled approach to try and get smarter about design, which, you know, we've talked about um, the problem of fast fashion and how much clothing gets wasted and thrown out and goes into landfill. So from that point of view, I can see it. But whenever we think about applying these data-fueled notions to creative industries I always think of like well how are you ever going to get everything anything new if you're always designing this year's shirt by the shirt that did well last season you know what I mean yeah 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 absolutely well they do address the point in the article and they say that the whole point of it is this way designers can spend more time actually on creativity rather than looking at old analytics and having you know their team come in and say yeah well you know pink has been great for the last six years Mm -hmm. if it ain't broke don't fix it yeah but um, I don't know I think it also is really really feeding our you know I want it and I want it now Mm -hmm. and I, I don't agree with that like it's kind of nice to wait for something that you want yeah and you know or you're very good at actually just keeping the stuff that you have like getting <laughs> really good things and keeping it and then you know you they look new or interesting or funky or vintage again after you've had them That's for a right, while and you pair them up so in interesting old. ways no <laughs> not what i meant <laughs> but let me ask you like would you if you had these incredible analytics would it change the way you wrote novels like if all of the ai told you you know what characters named nora don't sell you go to name your character maybe that (laughs) but you know what i mean like if you had those Uh, analytics would it change the way you wrote never Mm -hmm, mm. never but i kind of think that it's a bit more applicable to fashion than it is to writing which is a business business driven art yeah, anyway yeah. more and, and than it just they would literature. just you know it would just provide i think if you were a clothing designer some really practical stuff like people have been you know running screaming from polyester for years mm-hmm. you know or, or whatever <laughs> stop trying to make palazzo pants happen yeah. but yeah. it could be helpful though for genre fiction you know mm-hmm. if somebody was going oh you know uh, i think i'm going to write a oh a, a romance novel set in the future and then, eh, are you kidding? That's never going to sell. Right. Yeah. You know, we've yeah. tried that. Mm-hmm. So it might be good for genre fiction, but certainly not for literature. But then again, nobody reads literature anymore. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> I do sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes. I love literature. <laughs> but it doesn't sell. It's true. It's true. So, yeah, and then your data analytics will tell you that. Mm -hmm. I got into a huge debate with some people I had up at the farm for the weekend. There's no point in beginning any creative endeavor unless you have done your marketing and your analytics first. Hmm. My head was ready to blow off. <laughs> I'm like, that runs contrary to everything that creativity is about yeah. to me. Well, what do you think? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm a bit of two minds. Because you're more in the pure creative side. Like, for me, it's more about, I would like to know what kinds of stories are people interested, you know, as a person who makes a radio show, what kinds of stories are people interested in? Like, that kind of analytics I would be interested in. Yeah. I think my show is creative, but it's not yeah. creative in the way literature is creative or painting is creative. Yeah. It'd be interesting to apply it to something like create, creating uh, sculpture or painting. Mm -hmm. Or whether you would just completely freeze up. You know, it's hard enough to release the writer's block and stuff, but if you have all these parameters around, don't do that because people won't like it if, if you never well, like, self-censor so much yeah, that you wouldn't be able to write. Yeah, that's like, well, don't even bother beginning it. Mm -hmm. But then that's why we're all so starving. <laughs> <laughs> and have to keep old clothes. <laughs> Kathy, a pleasure as always. Yes. Thank you very much for listening. Mm -hmm. Check out the links on your phone or at thesniffer.net. And if you feel so inclined, say something at the blog about this mm -hmm. and other wool-gathering meanderings. Bye. Bye.